Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. This is where men talk about the kind of stuff that men don't talk about. Put your hard hat on, get ready for a ride. Here we go. Hey, welcome to Manalyzing. In this episode, I'm interviewing one of my best friends. This guy rocks. Uh, he's Samoan, and he's cooler than cool. Uh, someday, when I grow up, when I get reincarnated, whatever, I want to be, uh, I want to be like Pele. Here is a man who grew up, like many of us, thinking that he was second class, thinking that he was less than, thinking that something was wrong with him, and he believed it. This happens to all of us, whether we're Samoan or not. Maybe we don't end up on the right side of the tracks. Maybe we have a uh, face that's not symmetrical. Maybe we've got a disease. Maybe daddy beat us. Maybe mommy told us something. Maybe the wife said that we're X, Y, or Z. We all grow up, or in, our, in my case, also as an adult, believing that we are less than. Pele deals with this as well. Something I learned from him is that maybe everybody else sees us as equal to and that the one last person we need to convince in order to really be equal to and as good as is ourselves. Here's the interview. Pele Tautu, you're one of my closest friends. You, you just got corralled today. You were here for another reason. And, <laughs> and I just, I, I just uh, grabbed the rope and uh, dragged you in here. No, I think this is great. Let's have the guys get to know you. I told you that, you know, the suicide rate among men uh, is much higher than for women. And there's a reason for that. And, uh, and that's something that we're kind of trying to address is uh, me and you. And everybody else that I've interviewed getting vulnerable and talking about how we all have our demons. So a vulnerable interview, a vulnerable half hour or hour or whatever it is. So uh, let's, let's, have, uh, let's have everybody get to know you. Who are you, Bailey? Um, well, first of all, I'm a husband to my wonderful wife. A father to my five children, a grandfather to my seven grandkids, and, you know, a friend of you and just a guy that's trying to contribute. Contribute. Let's talk about that word. What do you, what do you mean when you say contribute? No, nah, the world just needs to be a better place, and one person at a time, we need to be better, and so I have control over myself, and so... Uh-huh. Me being good, me being better, me being mindful of others. You say you got control over yourself. I don't believe that. <laughs> I always thought that I had control over myself until I realized I didn't. In my case, it was, I was, uh, I was lacking. It wasn't testosterone, although I ran into that later. It was uh, thyroid mm. medication. And I found that when I didn't have it, Julie was always telling me that I was angry. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. I, you know, my, my response versus what you did doesn't end up, add up to me being angry. 
Mm-hmm. So tell me about you being in control of yourself. Well, I think you're right. We all fall short. We all <clears throat> we make mistakes, but uh, setting good boundaries and knowing what where the bar needs to be to know that when you get closer to that bar, oh. um, people around you feel safer. Um, I grew up in a subculture where aggression and violence, it was part of the protocol. So there were standards set and the punishment or the consequence, mm-hmm. you just got your ass whooped. <laughs> but let's and let's so, talk about that because, uh, you know, everybody, every man's got his own uh, way that he grows up. And, but let's talk about yours. What, is, what did that look like? Paint that for me, if you would. Okay, so I grew up on the North Shore of Hawaii. Okay. And so Hawaii, mostly Hawaiians. And so missionaries flooded the South Pacific in the 1800s, you know, from America. Uh And as as a result, a lot of us migrated, just as we have Latinos crossing the southern border. Uh uh, We were aware of what America meant, what it was, what it would mean to us. Mm -hmm. And so we migrated. And so we have our own subcultures. There's a it's built on the pillars of love and respect. Okay. And so we're taught respect. I think before we're taught given affection. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so when we come to the missionaries, the early missionaries of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints purchased some land on the north shore of Hawaii. Okay. And that land, no one was there. A few people, but a lot of the immigrants that converted to the, a lot of the Pacific Islanders that, uh, Islanders that converted to the Mormon Church or uh-huh. the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they migrated to that town. And so when we migrated, we were immigrants. And I don't think we were treated any different than or, or viewed a, any different than uh, the immigrants are that, that are just seeking a better life here in America, coming from South America. Uh-huh. Of course, there's a lot of other things that are coming across the board that put us at risk, but that's what we were. You were and immigrants. So, so we were I talk to my siblings. We talk a lot about our old, the old days and how our parents were treated. And so we were second-rate citizens, particularly Samoans and Tongans. Yeah, how so? Because we were new, we were poor, we couldn't speak the language. And these are our parents, a generation before us. And so we're born in Hawaii, um, and we recognize early on that we don't quite measure up in a lot of ways. Uh-huh. And so we have to assimilate and adapt. And so already coming from a culture where it was strict guidelines and then being put in a situation where we have to assimilate to the Hawaiian culture and the American culture, there was a lot of pressure put on our parents. Uh, Because as long as we weren't in conforming, didn't conform, Uh uh, we were ridiculed or we were looked down upon, we were frowned upon. And so our parents, there was a lot of pressure on them to get us to walk like what does, yeah, I was going to say, what does conforming look like? Speaking proper English, uh, dressing with matching clothes, uh, getting C's and above in class, <laughs> being able to engage a discussion. So in the Title I classes or the learning people who were behind, it was a lot of us in those classes. Uh-huh. And so when you walk into those classes and walk out of those classes, everybody can tell, you know, that's a class where the idiots go and so... That's us. You know, our parents, English is a second language. They're learning how to speak English. Uh-huh. And so they don't know how to teach us. Right. And so just all the ridicule and the teasing. And so Samoans and Tongans, we're big people. We're strong. Right. We're athletic. And so 
Yeah, I can't imagine you got teased by too we, many people. We, we were reactive, and so we made people pay. Uh-huh. And so we were all directed to join the football team. And yes. we became really good football players. And our school is known for football, and so we found our niche in sports. And a lot of us, we ended up here in Utah or other parts of the continental USA because our ability to play a sport good enough to get us out here to get an education. Right. And we could go back and help our families out and our people out, or we... A lot of us married, um, we got here and we married Americans or Caucasians, and so we stayed. Right. But just that process, um, we didn't realize it at the time, but looking back and we were able to see the trauma, the hurt, and the, the things that um, affected us adversely. And so we just deal with it. Trauma. Once, once we realized that we were labeled that way uh -huh. and we accepted and owned it, okay, this is who we are, we're the outsiders. And then we were fine. Yeah. Because we came in just happy people thinking we should all get along, but it wasn't so. Right. So anyway. Right. So trauma. Um, I'm stuck on that trauma word. Tell me uh, Tell me a story about uh, one of the moments when the trauma happened. Um, a lot of strain in our community. Uh, if you violate any social norms, you get disciplined. Okay. And it's pretty harsh, and, and we it, don't wait till we get home. Our parents didn't wait till we got home. If we were at school or the supermarket or out at the park, and we didn't do something, we were disciplined. So a lot of us, not different levels. My parents, luckily, they were more American. Uh-huh. And so I didn't see a lot of, um, uh, I didn't experience a lot of it. But you see it constantly. There's a lot of violence in our schools, Um I thought it got better, but I sent my kids to school there, uh -huh. and they called back and said, Dad, things didn't change. There were three situations where it broke out into to violence in one day, and he says every day, two or three, you know, you'll see two or three situations where people are beating each other up and solving problems physically. Yeah. Social norms. You, you said if people are not following social, following social norms, then, then it gets brutal. Uh, give me an example of one of those social norms. Um, whatever the rules are, I mean, in your home. Uh huh. Um, for example, one day we were walking home, and my friend was supposed to be home at a certain time. Uh huh. And we missed the bus that would have got us home at that time, so we had to catch the second bus. And he was giving uh, dirty spankings in his front yard, right in front of me. Thirty. Dirty. I mean, dirty. just dirty spanking. Um, What's a dirty spanking? Um, shoot, uh, using a shoe, a stick, uh -huh. um, stones. Dang. Yeah. Wasn't me, but I think my, my best friend, one of my close friends lives right next to me. Um, their parents, they struck, they stuck to the old code. Uh, luckily my parents, they, they were less uh, volatile. Um, there's a lot of crime that is in Hawaii. Uh -huh. There's organized crime. Um, I think it was nine or ten. Um, I was the first on the scene. My neighbor, he he was involved with organized crime, and he decided to leave. And organized crime, you, you can't leave on your own terms. You don't leave. And so I witnessed his death. You know, he was shot on his doorstep in the head three times, and my brother and I were there watching to that. to see it happen. And so. 
but a lot of violence, a lot of physical violence in the streets, in the playground, in the community that you don't see here in Utah. Yeah. Probably why I'm still here, maybe. But I think, I have to believe things got better. I think they have, but in the 60s and 70s, early 80s, it was pretty rough, and we didn't know it was rough until we came out here where things are different. And then we look back and realize that we were exposed to a lot. Yeah. Yeah. In my case, I, uh, I'm sure I was still, uh, you know, much better off than, than you, but, uh, my dad, we used to have a willow tree and, um, he'd make us go out and get a willow mm. and uh, <laughs> yeah, those hurt. Those hurt. And uh, there was once that he was going after my sister and he decided not to use a willow. He was going to use a broom handle. Yeah. And uh, she put her arm back to protect her butt and he broke her arm. Uh, yeah. So it, it oh, parallels. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, there, there's some parallels. And uh, yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I, I don't have that flavor of good memories. I, I, uh, I could tell you more stories like that, but let's just say that, uh, the fathering then and the fathering now is different. Yeah. Um, what's, what's one of the stupidest things you've done in your life? Hmm. Bullying, probably fighting. Yeah. Um, Got into a fight with this one guy, uh-huh. and we were even. He was good. We were both even. And, you know, there's those times where you want to occupy the same space, you know, uh-huh. and only one of you can. And so I knew he had a hernia. Uh-huh. And for me to win, I had to attack him where his hernia was, and I chose to attack him there. And so I, I was the victor. Uh-huh. But... That was bad form. Yeah, bad form. Oh. Bad form, and I knew he knew I knew. What happened next? Um, no, we stopped and we moved on, but I don't think we ever, everything's okay now. I haven't seen him for years, but I think what happened next was I knew that was bad form. Uh-huh. And I just committed, you know what, that doesn't happen again. There's no respect in that. Right. There's no honor. And so little things like that. Uh, I think I was a knucklehead when I was younger. Um, well, you were the only one that was a knucklehead. <laughs> and so looking back, I felt bad. You know, I remember apologizing at my graduation from high school to a lot of guys. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of, I realized probably wasn't as good as a person as I could have been. And so I think that kept me humble since, right. because, you know, I probably should be a better person. And I know I have a lot of work to do, but not too serious. I grew up in a little town and. You know, I grew up with the, the the popular boys, and it got to a point where drugs and alcohol was introduced to to the friend group, and I I decided to withdraw from that friend group, and that was social suicide because oh. they all felt judged by me, and I didn't mean to judge them. I just had a loyalty to someone else, you know. You know, my parents, I knew their expectations. I loved my parents, even though it's kind of harsh, but... My loyalties were there. Yeah. So. And how did that turn out for you? Um, it's, it's okay. I just we're all friends now, but when we we're young, it was. I felt like that was that probably I probably made a mistake socially. Yeah, when you're sixteen, seventeen, you think yeah. the entire world is is hinged around that yeah. particular week. 
They're all good guys, though. Yeah. So. Well, you uh, you maintained their respect, sounds like. Uh, hopefully. Yeah. Okay. Um, talk to me about what your man card means to you. What are the corners of the man card? Um, the pillars, the corners. Yeah. Um, there has to be loyalty, um, accountability. Um, married. I got married and I had five kids. Uh-huh. Um, I had no plan, had no education, no marketable skills except for the ability to play a, f- a sport. Right. And I wasn't even that great at it. Just good enough, right? Right. And so I get married to my wife, and before I know it, I'm ill-equipped to provide for the needs of my wife to the standard that she's used to. She grew up here. Uh-huh. Her dad was a successful businessman for a while. Uh-huh. And I couldn't provide that standard, but my wife, she devoted herself to me. And she says, she, to her, she said, it doesn't matter what we have as long as we're happy. And so my kids, so I just burned the candle on both ends, did whatever I could to make sure they got what got all their needs met. Um, but I think for me, providing and being responsible for the people that you love, your parents, your kids and your family, and then also um, your loyalty to the people that created you. Um, your parents, they raised you in a certain way. And so to show my respects to them, mm-hmm. uh, I try to live my life in a way that they would feel happy. And so to me, that's that's the most important part. And if you can't provide for the needs of your kids, then you sacrifice everything you can to make sure they get it. Um, there's old cycles that we've all experienced. And the negative cycles that um, kind of contribute to your vices, uh, your job as the man is to make sure those negative cycles don't live past you. So you do the best you can to make sure that your children don't repeat that cycle. Right. And so. Tell me about a couple of the negative cycles. um, For me, um, just culturally, anger wasn't something that we put in check. Uh-huh. We anger was a value. A value. Aggression was a value. Your ability to protect yourself and and win in combat, basically, that was or in a sport, uh-huh. the competitive arena. Um, we went into football gaming games. It wasn't just a game for us. We were gonna literally kill you and eat your flesh <laughs> that's what we that's was that's a mindset right everybody say we're amazing football players or whatever but we went in with one goal in mind is that was to destroy you right and to, to this date that that little high school on the north shore it's probably a 1a size high school very small but they play like a 6a team they're constantly putting athletes in them but it's because we've instilled that level of play but on the, that's on the surface they see we can we produce great athletes but underneath the surface back in our time it was just war and so that mentality and mindset doesn't go away and so when i came here to utah and got married that was my mindset as a dad and i didn't have a community to validate that mindset oh yeah i lived here so i was the only one Amongst all these here in the Utah, uh-huh. 
that had that mindset, or maybe a few other Polynesians, all those South Pacific Islanders, we had that mindset, but there was no reinforcers for our kids. And so I had to break that cycle. I had to change everything about me to salvage my family. So, yeah, all the rules, all the things that everybody just accepted as being true and nobody argued, all of a sudden you move here. And it's illegal. Nobody, it's, it's illegal. It's wrong. It's bad form, all of it. Yeah. And so my wife, she, uh, <laughs> when it came to the surface, we realized, you know, we have a problem here. Pele, you need counseling. I said, okay, I'll go get counseling. And I told her, but you need to give me time. We're talking 24 years of programming. Right. I was conditioned this way. It's not going to go away overnight, so you need to give me time. I'll work on it. And I promise you if, you, if you just stay with me, at some point I'll get it. Uh -huh. We've been married for 30 years, going on 31, and I've been making just the, just enough effort to make the cut. <laughs> <laughs> But you know what? I think what did the trick was my kids and my wife saw me trying. Uh -huh. They just saw me trying. Even though I fell flat on my face over the years, they just said, you know what? And to them, it was honorable. And so my family's still intact. And the damages that may have occurred as a result of that, my, and I work in the therapeutic industry. Uh -huh. And so I worked with a team of therapists for years and, it took me working in that environment alongside amazing therapists for me to piece everything together, for me to understand what I had to do. Because I was teaching and working with kids that came from the same situation here in America, uh -huh. really sad situations. And as I helped them work through their stuff and I could relate to it, I was a witness, firsthand witness of what the therapeutic process was for them to overcome and heal. And move on. And so it took me years of working alongside therapists so maybe to overcome my own obstacles. Your choice of profession was, uh, was perhaps a gift from God in uh, giving you those, that, those lessons for yourself as well. Yeah, it's a blessing. I didn't know I, why I was there, but now looking back, I don't think I would have gotten to where I am now. Uh-huh without going through that process. If I was out, if I was a car salesman or selling whatever, or I don't know, um, mechanic. Uh-huh. You don't get those a lessons. A contractor, I don't know if I would have got the lessons. Yeah. Um, so you, you came here and what I'm hearing is you came here, you've got a, You've got a uh, local wife. You've got kids who've never been to the North Shore. They've never been to Samoa. Mm -mm. I tried to say it right. You said it perfect. And and so you're kind of an island. I mean, you're the you're the one who knows what your upbringing is, but that is totally from Mars, as you're yeah. the only one who mm -hmm. knows what those rules are. Yeah, you can't. Uh, you know, you probably want to live that way, at least to some extent. You you miss that, and there is... Who would you talk to about that? Um, the therapists? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have friends 
we don't see each other very often, but when we're together, this is the stuff we talk about. Uh-huh. Our circles are very vulnerable. Uh-huh. When you see a group of Polynesian men getting together, there'll be a bow in the middle of the room with a, a drink, kava. <laughs> uh-huh. And when we're together, we just have a good time. We connect and we provide support to each other. So you actually go there. You can talk about how you're an island. Yeah, well, that's there, but I haven't been going for a while. Uh-huh. I haven't gone for years. I mean, they, my friends, they still get together in the valley. Uh, I just haven't been for a while, so I, I'm kind of isolated. And in the valley, what does that mean? In Utah County uh-huh. or even Salt Lake County. And There's a lot of us here. We just we're scattered throughout that valley, and when we're together, we it's like we never we we're never apart. Right. Yeah. And so, but we know we're there for. We know we know that we're not alone. That's the one thing about our community is we may not see each other or talk to each other every day, but we all know what we've been through, and we know we can always reach out because you know and get support. You're among other people who know that they have uh, to that they've moved away from a set of rules and a lifestyle and a a way of living and a way of being, and yeah. they come here to their islands. But at least they can get together and mm-hmm. talk. Yeah. Are these people that you can also talk to about? Uh, you know, let's say that you um, you have a drinking problem. Yeah. Yeah. You you come as you are in our circle. Uh huh. There's no exclusion. The only exclusion that exists is if you exclude yourself from the group. And and then to an extent, I've done that. And one, my wife's Caucasian. Uh-huh. Um, she has different expectations. Um, and so she's priority one, you know. And so I adapt my life to allow her to feel good about us and, and our family that's what we all do from my point of view from mm-hmm. the interviews that i've done is uh we give up our lives our friends our everything and make the wife and the kids ha- happy and then we wake up one day and we go man i've got nobody. nothing and nobody yeah i think i agree and, and for me um i'm the only samoan in my family uh-huh my wife's not samoan right my kids aren't samoan well they uh, they're half Samoan, right? But they were born and raised and conditioned here in Utah. They were raised American. They're raised American, and so, in that respect, it's very lonely, right? In my world, because the way I think, the way I do things, um, yes. Anyway, I know my kids and my wife love me, and they're always around me, but it's kind of lonely when you, at least the Samoan in me. Let's take that lonely Samoan. Where are you at when you're in when you're in that uh, in that place, and what are you doing? I I just focus my energy on my work. Uh, we've been getting a little more active. Like I told you earlier, I got a nice little bike, a road bike, uh-huh. and I bike. I'm not a biker. Those guys are the real deal, but I do bike. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nice. Make sure I fill my cup and doing the things you don't have to. You can do things that you have control over uh-huh. to take care of yourself. Um, higher power stuff. Right. Those things. Um. Every day, you know, you can man only last one day. 
And so every day it's a percentage, game of percentages. Out of seven days a week, you probably want to at least hit the mark four days out of the week. <laughs> hit the mark. Yeah, hit the mark being not the not being the lonely guy. Is that or what? or just not being defeated. Right. Or being in the victim, being in victim, or just being negative. I'm not saying I'm never negative or a downer, but right. more often than not. So let's uh, take one of those moments. You're feeling lonely, and this is justifiable. It's sane. Um, you're not going to go to your wife. You're not going to say, I'm lonely. She doesn't understand, probably doesn't want to hear it. <laughs> you're not going to go to your kids. You're not going to go to another woman. Yeah. Uh, who's left? Um, so for me, I don't know if this is odd, but I pour everything I have into my clients. Okay. So somebody's life is always worse than yours. Uh-huh. And the people I work with, the families I work with, yeah, their lives suck a little bit more or a lot more. <laughs> and so I find myself giving of myself where I can. Mm-hmm. Giving of myself where I can is it's what's worked for me. Right. So it, would it be fair to say that you shove it down or do you just uh, shove it out of the way? I, I resolve it in different ways, whether it's a bike ride. Every now and then I'll get to talk like you and I are talking right now. Right. We talk every now and then and we have good conversations. We just came back from a trip down to Southern Utah, things like that. Right. And so the rest of the time you just have to have stamina. Um, Self-betrayal is something I used to teach a lot. Uh Uh-huh. And that's the first obstacle everybody has to overcome. And in this case, does self-betrayal basically mean I feel lonely and I'm not going to talk to anybody about it and I'm not going to acknowledge it or deal with it? No. Well, yeah. Yeah. Self-betrayal is when you, you betray your own conscience. Right. Uh, to the least degree. And so a lot of the kids I teach, the first obstacle they have to overcome is self-betraying thoughts about themselves, attitudes. Right. Behaviors, actions. And so that's the same with you and I. I find it ironic that as men, we like to think, you know, I'm, I'm a man, I'm tough, I can handle anything. If there's a problem, I'll solve it. And we think we can do that with everybody. You know, the wife comes to us with a problem, we'll solve it. The mm-hmm. kids come to us with a problem, we'll solve it. The coworkers will solve it. Uh, you come to yourself with a thing like, I'm lonely. Uh, and I don't know the difference between shoving it down and pushing it out of the way. It might be the same thing, but we don't solve it. We just push it around. Yeah. We just swallow it, <laughs> digest it. And then but, it comes out badly. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, sometimes you're only lonely for a little while. Uh-huh. You know, so might not be that long. And then I think that's something we have to overcome. Um, being able to tell our wife, you know, I, I need some time. Uh-huh. That's hard for me to do, but I, that's the advice I got. You know what? If you're not feeling like your wife's there for you, you need to communicate that to her. <laughs> and that's what Julia said to me a thousand times. Yeah. Going, oh, wow, you're right. And we stink at it. <laughs> we suck. <laughs> we suck bad. 
No, but you know what? It's a game of percentages, and I think if you get it right more often than not, you always put yourself in a good position, and so it's not maybe not perfect all the time, but it's good enough, and that's okay. And so some some in some situations, I think we have to man up. And man up means what in this situation? Don't cry about it. Just handle it, bear it, and trust that everything's going to be fine. You might have to go without for a little while. And for us growing up, where we grew up, that was kind of what we were. We grew up knowing that we would have to go without. Uh huh. And so if I could do it then. You can still do it. I can do it now. And if I'm going to cry about it and moan about it, that's very, that that's contrary to what our man card. Uh, it's not on our man card to do that. But speaking out for our needs is probably something we could do better. Yeah. And I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to argue with you just a little on that one. Uh, because like, for example, um, Julie would be talking to any number of friends, including uh, your lovely wife. And it'd be uh, past 10 o'clock. It'd be 10, it'd be 11 o'clock. And I'm like, the, yeah. the time for that, this is my time, mine. And so, uh, you know, I, I came out and told her, I said, look, this is not something I'm going to bear any longer. I've borne it and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not doing that anymore. And it's important to me. Yeah. I, I don't want to be third place for you after 10 PM. I guess what I'm learning is that we can bear it, but it's kind of like breathing. You know, I, in, in another conversation with another man, maybe he'll tell me, look, you know, I, there's no sex or maybe there's sex once, once a month and I'm bearing it or, uh, you know, we're roommates and we're not a marriage and I'm bearing it or, uh, maybe I'm the daddy ATM and they ask me for money and then they make me, they basically signal that I need to go away. And so I do that and I bear it. Um, I'm saying no, no, I'm saying, um, you know, if, if you need more sex, if you need more contact with your family, if you need to be, uh, not teammates with your wife, bearing it is what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, is what we need to not do, you know, and, and Julie's taught me this lesson a number of times, uh, you know, where I finally blow up and come at her and say, this, I'm, it sucks. And she goes, well, why didn't you tell me? And, uh, I go, yeah, why didn't I tell you? Um, so anyway, that, that's a long speech, uh, about, about bearing it, but I think bearing it the way you describe from my point of view is probably a contributor to why we go mm-hmm. inside and become islands and uh and then there's suicide and yeah well if you live on an island long term that's a problem yeah um i don't know that i'm always on an island uh-huh maybe sometimes on a, i'm on an island for a little while uh-huh and then i'm not on an island anymore um i think for me my kids have all grown i have one left and that was a hard transition, going from a father of five to a father of one, one who's a seventeen-year-old teenager. Uh-huh. She's awesome. She doesn't really need that. <laughs> She's got her circles, and and so me taking ownership of my life and providing for the needs of my wife and my my daughter um, 
wherever they need it. That's kind of where I fit in. Um, sometimes I do bear things. Um, the intimacy thing, yeah, that's something I can relate to. Uh-huh. Um, I'm definitely not in my prime anymore. <laughs> yeah. But um, balancing those things out, that's that's probably where I'm at right yeah. now. Um, I'm not complaining. I'm not hurt. But could things be better? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's those strains, financial strain. You know, our finances have changed a little bit. Recently, um, a good chunk of income in different, with a couple of different um, streams, uh-huh. uh, we'll have to address. And so that's going to create more stress. I think finances but, is the number one reason for divorce, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I believe that's that's true. And so we have to address that in the coming months. How are we going to compensate for what we've lost? So you've told me before that your man card is pink. <laughs> what are you talking about? What does I that can't mean? I remember when I said that. I don't I don't know if I was saying that in jest, but um uh-huh. um if I'm, like I said earlier, if I'm not taking care of my responsibility to my wife, to my kids, mm-hmm. to my work, um then yeah, that man card might have pink dots on it. Right. But um, part of the man card is me taking care of me first. Right. And so I think over the last year or so, I've made great strides in that. And part of it is just being associated with good men like yourself and the circle of friends we have. Um, but just the action phase. Um, I, 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 um, as we get older, we hang the sneakers. And looking back over the past 30 years of my life, I think that was the biggest mistake I did was hang the sneakers, not being active anymore. I gained what, I think I got up to about 320 pounds. I was idle. Uh I just thought, okay, that chapter is done. I need to move on and just be a dad. And all of my energy went to my my wife and my kids, all of it. Right. Uh, At the expense of my own well-being. Right. And so finally I decided, you know what, I made a big mistake. And so... I've lost a lot of the weight, still have to work on my health, but um, just me and my relationship with myself is where I think I'm able to make the difference, Garth. What was what was the lowest uh, part of your life? And the follow-on question, I'm going to give you that right now. What did you learn from it? I think the lowest was when I realized I couldn't provide for my wife and kids uh-huh. to the standard that I thought I could, that I felt my wife and kids needed. And so I felt like I was embarrassed, actually, because I think I left the islands coming to the to America, continental uh-huh. America, with these big dreams um, in sport as well. Uh-huh. But then looking back, I realized, you know, only in hindsight can some of us see this. Some of us are more gifted than others. Right. All the athletes I played with, they were very gifted. They should have gone far. I wasn't one of those guys. I, was, I had talent, had the ability. I just didn't work hard enough. And I didn't realize I didn't work hard enough until the opportunity came. And I didn't make the, I didn't perform to the standard I thought I could. Right. And then it all came flashing into my head. I said, you didn't work hard enough. I didn't know I wasn't working hard enough. 
And so that chapter closed, and then I just went into labor and started working odd jobs to provide for my wife. And So there's that humility. I'm going to change the question uh, from what did you learn to how did it serve you to go through that? Um, I realized that it wasn't about me anymore. And at the, my pride factor, my man car didn't matter anymore. The only thing that mattered was my wife and my five kids getting everything they needed. And so I just did anything I could, regardless of what it was. Um, There's just, I just, in my eyes, I didn't feel like what I did to bring home the fatted calf. I don't know if I even brought home the fatted calf. I brought home enough to make ends meet. Right. And it was humbling. Um, it was super humbling. And so ended up working in the mental health industry. And I thought, you know what? Every kid that I work with, he cannot repeat my story. Right. There's no way I'm going to let anybody that crosses my path repeat my life experience because it sucked. I mean, that's how I feel about it. But you talk to my wife and my kids, they're happy. They had everything they needed. They they have the character. They have the intelligence. They they have wings. They can fly and achieve everything they feel they can. I just wasn't able to do that. It's like Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt, uh-huh. only to find out he can't go into the promised land. You're Moses, <laughs> man. That's what it feels like, right? But it didn't matter because I knew I was going to break some cycles. And so I think I did that with my kids. I think you just asked or answered this last question that I'm going to ask, but I'm, uh, I'm going to go over the, uh, I'm going to ask that, that last question in another way. Uh, so you can answer it again. How was your lowest moment, a gift from God to you? Hmm, big question. No, I just found purpose. Um, it doesn't matter what our path is. I think what I failed to realize is God is in the details more than I ever imagined he was uh-huh. in every detail. Um, God has access to us, our past, present, and future at all times. Omnipresent, right? Right. And so he was the one that showed me that doesn't matter what your path is. He's going to work his magic in your life. And by the time you breathe your last breath, if you just stick to your guns and follow your intuitions and has have his will in mind, um, it's going to all come out just nicely. And, and I do know that this life is temporary and it's not the, it's not the, this is not the final destination. This is a testing phase. Um, all the struggles we have as men, it's by design. And at whatever level we achieve, it's going to be valuable. Um, we'll be men after we die. And we're going to learn from this life experience. And the cool thing about it is we'll process all of it together <laughs> with the master in our midst, you know. And so I think having hope that there's more that this life is temporary and that, you know, there is a higher power and that God's in the details and we have a savior. Um, 
which with each passing year, those that becomes more and more evident. And so it allows me to get through hard times. Um, and I think a lot of it is we get wiser over time. And so we avoid a lot of the difficult things. A lot of the people I deal with, they haven't figured things out yet. They've been in this cycle of dysfunction, uh, toxic relationships that they never really learned the, the, the reality that that the joy that we hear about in heaven when we die, that wasn't the plan. That's not the plan. And so like your podcast right now, it's talking about what we can do to experience the joys today, right here and now. Heaven's not in the future, it's now. And so I think we've all experienced glimpses of that. And throughout every day, I think there's moments where we can experience it. And so as far as my life, it may not be honorable to man in the eyes of men, but between me and my higher power, I'm a freaking rock star. <laughs> That's all there is. And so he knows and I know, and it may not be shiny and bright. I may not be a high value man in the, in, in the eyes of the world, but uh, my kids and my wife will probably tell you different. I think they would. They're good kids. I love them. Yeah, thank you. Thank okay. you, Bailey. Welcome. Hey, thank you for listening to this Manalizing podcast. I appreciate it. You know, I don't go hunting for men with big stories and big issues to deal with. I find that pretty much any man that I talk to, he's going to have a story. If you're inspired by what you hear, here's my invitation. Join us. Join Manalizing. Manalizing.com. Lift and be lifted. Help other men and allow other men to help you. Let's do this together. We look forward to meeting you. Manalizing.com.